0: please be seated good morning for those of you that i haven't met my name is ben robertson and i'm a campus minister with reformed university fellowship over at the college of william and mary Um, you know we've had quite the uh... musical chairs of pulpit uh, over the last several months and it's it's been uh... quite an adventure that we're on as a church and it it continues and i get to be the next uh... pop-up preacher Um, but I, I have the privilege of being in the, in the, in the seats with you uh, week in and week out and, and to know you and to be a part of this church. It's a privilege and a joy to be here with you this morning uh, and get to open God's word together. Uh, this morning we're going to be looking at the Gospel of John, chapter 1, starting at verse 43. Uh, Jesus is early in his ministry. He's been gathering disciples to himself. And here we look at this episode where Jesus calls a man named Nathaniel who we believe to be actually Bartholomew, is what he's probably called in the other Gospels. His name is Nathaniel. He's called here often. It's, it's not uncommon to call someone by multiple names. But he uh, encounters this man named Nathaniel for the first time. And uh, we get to read that story here. So John chapter 1, starting at verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip. And he said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathaniel, and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come together uh, this morning from all over the place. Uh, Some of us are hurting and doubting and confused. Uh, Some of us aren't sure why we came. Some of us are full of hope and joy and peace. Some of us are lost and confused. Wherever we come from this morning, Lord, will you meet us? Because we desperately need to meet you. And we ask that you would do that by your spirit, just as Nathaniel saw you and had his life changed. Would you do the same for us today? We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. I mentioned before that I'm a campus minister, and part of my job is to meet people. A lot of you have jobs or callings that require you to meet new people on a regular basis, and that's definitely uh, part of the job description of a campus minister, at no point uh, do we not need to meet new people and hopefully invite them to RUF, get them a comrade. Right? Um, I love meeting people. I'm glad that that's part of my job. It, it, but it's this interesting moment, right, when you meet someone for the first time. There's a whole lot going on, and here we have this neat story of when we get to see sort of this up-close account of Jesus meeting someone for the first time. Uh, And there are a lot of elements in this story that are the same in in any time that we meet someone new for the first time. There's so much going on. Here we see someone meeting Jesus. Well, What happens in this meeting and what happens in all meetings? Uh, The first thing that happens in a meeting is you. Before you ever meet someone for the first time, uh, there's you. All of your ideas, your thoughts, your prejudices, your conceptions, Whether you've met this person, seen them, or just been told their name, you've already begun to form your opinion about them that really doesn't have anything to do with them but has everything to do with you, right? Um, You may have even done it this morning. You met someone for the first time here at church and you thought to yourself, blue jeans at church, hmm. Well, what is this, some sort of rock and roll concert? Hmm. Or a nice suit, Mr. Big Shot, Well, aren't we important, Mr. Fancy Pants? Must think God loves him more because he had his shirt pressed. Um, See, all of those things, those thoughts, those opinions, and we we do it the way people are dressed, the way they look, their race, their gender, where they're from, where they're not from, where they went to school, where they didn't go to school. And all of those assumptions and ideas don't really have anything to do with the other person. They have everything to do with you, right? Nathaniel's no different. He hears about Jesus and he has brought himself. Famously, he says in verse 46, after hearing from one of his best friends, apparently, that he thinks he may have found the one that Moses in the Old Testament pointed to, he remarks, Can anything good come from Nazareth? Uh, Nazareth, we believe, uh, was a small town of about 2,000 people. In fact, it was so small that uh, people for uh, critical scholars for some time, actually believed that it didn't really exist because uh, there wasn't a lot of evidence. But we, archaeology, we, we seem to have found the place that we believe to be Nazareth, and we found, found an inscription from the first century, the word Nazareth written in Hebrew. So it does, it is real. They didn't make it up. Um, but uh, Nathaniel reveals something about himself, his own assumptions, uh, and what he thinks about Jesus based on those uh, For the for the very reason that... Our scholars might think that someone would make up Nazareth, and that's because it's this little podunk town. See, Nathaniel has brought his assumptions, and his rejection of Jesus at the, at the outset is that first basic assumption that, of course, someone good couldn't come from Nazareth. It just, it's just this little hick town. I grew up in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, so there, go, go ahead and import your assumptions about me. Uh, and we grew up you know, making Auburn jokes, right? You know, like the guy that drowned in the river because uh, the truck went off into the river and the guy in the front seat swam out and then they found that he had died in the river, the guy riding in the, the bed of the, of the pickup truck because he couldn't get the tailgate open, right? Um, the, he's from Auburn, right? Uh, he's, he's, a, he's a hick, he's a redneck, he's from Podunk. And that's what, Nathaniel's making an Auburn joke. He's saying, Nazareth, really? Your Messiah is this slack-jawed yokel that I'm supposed to listen to? I don't think so. Well, what are your assumptions about Jesus? You may be coming uh, to this church to explore Christianity, to think about it, to examine Jesus, and you might think something actually very similar to what Nathaniel thought. I mean, honestly, I mean, are we really going to base our entire lives around a man who lived 2,000 years ago, the son of a carpenter, who apparently had some good teachings and some good things to say, but are we really supposed to take that seriously in 2012? I don't think so. Not him. A good, a good man, probably, an ethical teacher, but whatever. Or your conception of what it means to be a Christian and to follow Christ is to be a boring, uptight, Sunday school-going goody-goody. And I don't want to sign up for that, not to follow him. Um, There are some interesting objections there, and I don't have time to go into all of them right now. And some of them are actually serious issues. I don't want to skirt that. But just to acknowledge, maybe that's your view and invite you to consider further who Jesus is and encounter him. That's not all that we think that Nathaniel's objecting to, not just that it's podunk. But the, the second level of his objection, we actually think that it's a theological one. It's a biblical one. See, Nathaniel was a student of the Bible and he could pull open his Bible and turn to Micah chapter 5, verse 2 where it was prophesied that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. Bethlehem, not Nazareth. And what's very interesting about this level of his, his objection is that technically speaking he's right. He's right based on what he knows and apparently based on what Philip knows. He doesn't know. You and I know if you have been to a Christmas Eve service or watched the Charlie Brown episode or whatever, you know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he doesn't know that and it doesn't seem that Philip knows it yet either. See, technically speaking, he's right. Uh, interesting point here. Sometimes seemingly good theology, technically right Bible knowledge can actually be an obstacle to encountering Jesus. Could that be you or me? I've heard this before. I've heard a lot of sermons. I did a Bible study on John last semester with my friends. I've memorized the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and I can tell you the good theology and this thing that you're pressing me on, that can't really be real, that can't really be Jesus, because I can flip to my chapter and verse, and I'll tell you all about him, meanwhile just giving him the stiff arm and keeping him at a distance, and smugly thinking, no, not Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? I know better. I've heard it. Well, maybe, or maybe not, Maybe we think that we know him, but we wouldn't know Jesus if he tweaked us on the nose. Because we're so sure that we've got it. Well, how does Philip, the friend of Nathaniel, respond to these objections? Um, It's interesting to me that he doesn't immediately answer. He doesn't say, oh, no, he's, he's from Bethlehem, it's okay, and Nazareth isn't as bad as you think. He just says, come and see. Come and see. Come and look. Come and examine Come and take a look at the evidence. Come and hear what he has to say and see what he might do. Come and look. Bring your questions and your assumptions and your doubts and your misgivings and your prejudices. But see and come. So he does. Nathaniel comes, thankfully. Which brings us to the second part of what happens when we meet someone. There's the us bringing ourselves and all of our assumptions and ideas. But then there's this moment of exchange where we actually meet the other person and they have the opportunity to speak back where our assumptions are either confirmed or, more often than not, uh, dismantled and denied. Um, So, yeah, he's in a suit, but he seems pretty self-effacing and down to earth and doesn't seem to think he's that big of a deal. Maybe I should give him a second shot. Or, yeah, he's in those jeans. But he seems deep and insightful and serious and a real and meaningful person. Um, he's from Auburn, but he's, he's quite bright, actually, if you give him a chance. Um, she's beautiful and was valedictorian of her school. Who thought that that was possible? Because TV says that you can't be pretty and smart, right? Um, but she is. Wow. Uh, he's a huge nerd in a wolf shirt, but he's insightful and witty and bright, and I like him. Something happens in that moment. Something like that happens to Nathanael, but far more profound. Verse 47, the exchange begins. Jesus, seeing him at a distance, says about him, verse 47, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Jesus speaks back. And he speaks back in a way that sort of sizes Nathanael up. He condenses Nathanael's character down to a simple statement. This man in whom there is no deceit, or as some of the old translations say, in whom there is no guile, he's basically saying Nathaniel is the kind of person who says what he thinks. He's not trying to deceive people. What you see is what you get. He's that, you know, most of us, we have a thought, and then we kind of analyze it for a moment, and we say, how will this affect the people around me, and how can I condition it to where they're going to like it, or should I just keep it locked in my head, and Nathaniel's the guy without that little device And we all have that friend where to think it is to say it. To say it is to think it. That's who he is. He's the kind of person whose best friend tells him he's found the Messiah. And he says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Um, Camper insisted after the first service that that is Matt Garrison. The rest of you, who know him. Uh, He (laughs) says what he thinks. Our dear friend. But he's gotten to the core of Nathaniel's character. He's saying, you're honest you're real. What we see is what we get with you. And that rattles Nathaniel's cage a little bit. Notice how he responds in this exchange. Verse 48, Nathaniel says to him, how do you know me? How do you know me? And we can sense that there's something more in the, in the, in the tenor of, of the passage, that something has changed here. If we were scoring a film, the music would get sort of eerie at this point. he's asking this question wait a second he's caught him off guard how do you know me and no has more of a sense of like did we meet at the at starbucks the other day or how did we was there a party i've forgotten um but it's more than the no has a sense of you've just nailed me you've just exposed me you've just laid me bare and i'm a little bit scared but i'm also very intrigued and drawn to you jesus does that to us does he not You know what it's like to really be known in that way, top to bottom. So if you have a close friend or a spouse or a family member who completes your sentences, who knows how you think, and you're in a group gathering like this, and all you have to do is exchange eye contact, and you know what's funny and why, right? Others of you don't know what that's like. You know what it means to be known because you know that you've never been known. And you've been in a family... Or you've been married for years and you feel that your spouse or your parents or whoever it is around you your coworkers, still don't really even know and understand you and even though they've known you for years they don't know you well with Jesus it's just the opposite of that they've not yet met face to face and Jesus already knows Nathaniel all the way to the core all the way to the bottom to where with one sentence he can grab him and say how do you know me even though they've never met when we meet Jesus, we meet someone who already knows us to the back of our retina. He sees through us, he sees into us, and we aren't usually counting on that. And so Jesus answers his question, how do you know me? Verse 48, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Okay, that sounds pretty normal too. That does sound like I saw you at Starbucks the other night. I don't know what's the big deal, but it, it gets his attention. A couple of things to note about this first. Jesus knew Nathanael. He saw him. He had him picked out. He had his eye on him. He had him chosen before Philip went to call him. So you, if you're Philip, you're thinking it's your idea, right? And if you're Nathanael, you're thinking, okay, I'll come along with my friend Philip. And Jesus is saying, no, it was my idea. I saw you first. If you're a Philip trying to bring your friend Nathaniel to Jesus, how would it change your perspective? How would it encourage your zeal? How would it give you hope and courage if you knew that Jesus had his eye on Nathaniel first? Or if you're Nathaniel, and this should freak you out just a little, what if in your pursuit of Christianity right now, it's not really that you were pursuing him, but he has already been pursuing you? Jesus is that sort of person. Second thing to note about Jesus' response is that it really disturbs Nathaniel. It gets to him. I mean, the first statement of you have no deceit in you got to him, but this one really rattles his cage. He gets this big reaction when Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree. There must be something more than appears on the surface of that statement. Something was going on with Nathaniel under that tree. You know what I think it was? I have no idea because the text doesn't say. Uh, and by the way, that's one, of, that's one of the marks of an eyewitness account is that strange details are included that never go explained. There are these loose ends included because John was there and he heard that and he didn't know what was going on, but he recorded it. Something under a fig tree, Nathaniel very much bothered not sure why right but commentators speculate we think maybe was he praying was he asking god to send his messiah was he wrestling with some sort of sin in his heart Uh, but whatever it was something very significant happened such that nathaniel attributes this supernatural power to jesus how could you have known that who are you Now notice and we'll get to his exact response in a moment but notice that his assumptions his prejudices his theological objection hasn't been answered yet They will be he'll learn more and he'll come to know more about Jesus but something that he didn't count on has happened and that is that he met Jesus He came and he saw if Jesus is real, he's not just an idea that we argue about or a story that we discuss. He's a person. And if you are exploring Christianity, then you may find that he encounters you before all of your questions are answered. I'm not saying there are no questions. I'm not saying don't look, at, don't look into them. But if Jesus is real, it may just be that he will reach right through all of your arguments and doubts and grab you first and answer your questions later. He's not the conclusion of an argument. He's a person who already knows you. And then, what does Nathaniel say? Verse 49. This is incredible. This is incredible. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now these are loaded terms. It's likely that when he says son of God, he doesn't mean what we typically mean. He doesn't He isn't claiming divinity for Jesus at that point, but he is definitely claiming that Jesus is the Messiah, the chosen one, the king who would return and set Israel free, the one God's people had been waiting for. And though he doesn't have the full theological weight in it, most likely it's a pretty extraordinary reaction to say the least. And you would think that at this point that Jesus would say, nailed it, Nathaniel, good answer. I am the son of God. I am the king of Israel. Other disciples take note. Watch and learn, hear. But that's not what Jesus does. Look at how Jesus responds. Verse 50. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Which brings us to our last point, the last stage of what happens when you meet someone for the first time after you've brought your assumptions and they've been able to exchange with you a little bit, there's then the question of response. What are you going to do with that? You met someone, you bumped into them, are we going to go have coffee later? Am I going to invite you to my party? Are we going to be Facebook friends? You've heard of the Facebook, yes? <laughs> it's early to say, but I think it's going to be big. I think <laughs> just you heard it here first. Um, you know, are, are, are we going to follow up with each other? Are we going to exchange phone numbers? Are we going to get married one day if we're single now? Are we going to be best friends? Am I going to be in your wedding if I'm not, you know, at the front? Uh, what's going to happen? Or will we walk away and never speak again and completely forget this moment forever? How will we respond? What's going to happen? Jesus' words call Nathaniel and us to respond, to respond Look at what Jesus is saying here. See, he doesn't just receive the titles that Nathaniel gives and leave it at that. He says, okay, you're right, but really, Nathaniel, you don't have a clue. You say you believe because I said I saw you under a fig tree. Just you wait. You have no idea what you just said. He's beckoning him to come back for more. And he does it in a couple of ways. Uh, first, He talks about the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, this is a reference to the Old Testament story. You remember in the book of Genesis where Jacob is wandering through the wilderness and he lays down and goes to sleep. And then he has this vision of what's commonly called Jacob's Ladder. And it says that angels were ascending and descending on this ladder between heaven and earth. Same language that's used here, except Jesus says that happens on him. When Jacob woke up the next morning, he makes a monument But he says this, how awesome is this place? Surely this is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Jacob looked at this and he said, this is the place. This is the window between heaven and earth. This is the wardrobe. We're in England and Narnia is on the other side. And this is it right here. This is the portal into another reality. The dwelling place of God has come here and broken through into my reality. And I'm going to pile up stones and remember this place. And Jesus is saying, "When you you will see heaven opened and angels ascending and descending on me. Jesus is saying, how awesome is this place, me. I am the gate of heaven. I am the window to God. But then he uses another Old Testament image, the son of man. Ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Son of Man, when Jesus uses his favorite way to refer to himself, especially when he's taking a title. And virtually everyone agrees that he's referring to the book of Daniel. and calls himself uh, the Son of Man. This is, uh, let me read it to you. It says, One, behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him, the Son of Man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples nations and languages should serve him or worship him his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall never be destroyed and the theologians scratch their heads over this one for centuries who is this son of man it sounds like he's like god and yet he's described as one like a son of man and jesus is saying that's me and he's claiming divinity He's claiming, I'm not just the gate to God, I am God himself come down. Later in Jesus' ministry, when he refers to himself like this as the son of man, the Pharisees begin to pick up stones because they're going to kill him because he just blasphemed. They know what he's saying. And he's saying, Nathaniel, that's me. I'm the son of man. Nations worshiping me, every tongue and nation serving me. I have a kingdom that will last forever. I'm the son of man. That's me. What are you going to do with that? I'm not just your king. I'm your God. He's calling him to respond. And he's calling us to respond. What do we do with that? Nathaniel followed him. And became his disciple. And we should do the same. And notice he's not saying... I stand at the bottom of Jacob's ladder and I tell you how to get to the top. Or I stand at the top of the ladder and I tell you to climb up to me. He's saying, I am that ladder. I am that gate. I am that way. And Philip, the friend of Nathaniel, had told him, come and see. And just as Philip was told by Jesus, surely Nathaniel was too. And so are we. Jesus says, come, follow me. I hope you do the same. Let's pray.